It is Monday, December 16th, 2019, and it is time, donks, for Morning Combat. Welcome, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I am the host of this program alongside Trusty Steed and co-host from CBS Sports, the one and only Brian Campbell. Brian, before we get to any of uh, the breakdowns and the slapstick, we have to say we've been pressing, pressing, pressing to get the 30K yes. subscriber goal. Well, we hit it and we passed it, all thanks to folks like you. So thank you. Uh, if you've already subscribed. Thank you, India. Thank you, Providence. Thank, thank you all. All right. Everybody. Uh, like the video, of course. Subscribe if you haven't. For those who already did to help us meet our goal, we really, really appreciate that. I saw Speaking that. India, that's your, that's your birthplace. India is my birthplace. What right. city was it? Do you know? uh, Can you name five Indian cities? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. But I'm just excited <laughs> to be here. I got off the plane from Vegas last night at about How was 11, Vegas, by the and, way? Uh, uh, dark and compromising to my uh, inner moral code, but besides that, great fight. Week. Where did you stay? What hotel? I made the mistake of staying at the New York, New York, forgetting how oh, shitty it was. That's oh really the worst. Vidara is the secret if, to the strip. Dude, you're, you're, you are a live. rolling uh, just ball of sweat and fat. And no, and just bed bugs. Do you here. know in the YouTube comments they call me uh, Chubby Lance Bass? <laughs> It's not, not, they're not wrong right now, all right? That's hey, very good. The good Lance Bass, But you could walk to uh, T-Mobile. That's the good part. You can walk yeah. to T-Mobile. If I'm Lance Bass, you're Lou Pearlman. But the combat tag team is back again. Wrecking it, checking it. Let's I'm begin. I'm abusing you. I don't abuse you. BC in the house. Jump, jump. All right. Enjoy. All right. Very good. Yeah, Let's yeah. get it going here if we can. All right. Uh, this is going to be, obviously, as you can well imagine, a lot of focus on UFC 245. So let's put the focus there if we can. Three title fights on the card. Let's start with the one at the very top. Here we go. Colby Covington loses to Kamar Usman. Another way to say it is Kamar Usman retains his UFC welterweight strap with a fifth round stoppage. Boy, there was schadenfreude on Twitter yesterday. But let's start here when we talk about Kamar Usman. Number one, Brian Campbell, let's assess how good of a welterweight he is historically. And two, whether his approach ultimately was part of the reason why he won. I'll actually pitch to you first on that. Give me an assessment of how good you think he is. And is that less is more approach he took in the run-up to the fight more recently? Not the buffet fighting where he got all crazy, but this last six weeks, last eight weeks, do you think that really made a difference in the end? I think so. Uh, look, how good is he? I think he's great. I think he's potential to make a run at the pound for pound top top two or three here. I think he's showing you that in there by having a fight that we come for a wrestling match and a boxing match broke out, which was very interesting in the fact that neither broke code along the way. You had one pump fake of a takedown attempt from Kamara Usman early, mm. and then you went almost 25 full minutes with them just basically putting it all out there and saying... I think I got the better gas tank. I think I got the better chin. I think I'm tougher than you. Let's just keep jamming until one of us goes down. But I think for Usman, it showed that other side of him. He had made certain comments in the buildup, like I've only shown, what, 40% of how good I am. I, I wasn't overwhelmingly wild by his striking, but this ended up being an even match in which they both put it all on the table, and he was the last man standing because of the things that led me to pick him leading up. I thought he was more aggressive when it matters. I thought he's a harder striker. I thought he had more of a natural instinct to want to finish somebody. Although this this fight never got to the ground, we never really saw what would have happened. Would they naturally have canceled each other out with their wrestling? We don't actually know that. But in a boxing match, he won out with those categories in the end. And this was a gutsy-ass win in one of those, like, sneaky fight-of-the-year contenders. I mean, from the standpoint of just straight drama and entertainment, this was edge of your seat the whole time. Yeah, it was a great card and a great crown jewel on the top of that. You know, Fightmetric, the guys over there had made a point about the data. When you look at what Kamar Usman does, he typically limits to an extent what his opponent can do in terms of their output. And Colby was a little bit less in that regard, let's say, relative to the Robbie Lawler fight. But the funny part was is it looked to me, Brian Campbell, that he was fighting 
at Colby Covington's pace. Colby was kind of setting the tone a little bit and had some success. It could have been 2-2, could have been 3-1, depending on one's perspective or how they wanted to judge it heading into the fifth. But he kind of obliged Colby and, and I think beat him at his own game. Now, again, we know they're both wrestlers, but in the way in which Colby approached it, it looked like to me Kamara was like, all right, I'll match you here, and, and that'll be enough of it. What's interesting about it is it's kind of a, it's kind of a two-way street in how you want to assess whether it's good or it's bad. If you looked at what would have been better for that division in terms of fresh matchups, if that's your only consideration, it would have been Colby Covington. Because he had, I'll let me explain. He had only fought RDA inside anybody in the top five. Okay. And he, of course, beaten him already. If you looked at Kamaru Usman, he had beaten everybody already in the top five, except for the one who had not fought, which is Jorge Masvidal. So to me, we'll get to the Jorge part in just a second, but in assessing his greatness, you know, when you can wrestle in a way against RDA where you're setting the record for the most amount of strikes after you've already landed 10 takedowns, a la Cain Velasquez levels of output, if you are obliging someone who has a high pace, even if it's not the primary portion of your game in a title fight and you win, if they antagonize you by talking about your dead um, benefactor, and more than that, a friend, but you know, a guy who was a big part of helping to, to, to get the, Brazilian, the black Brazilians off the ground, and then talking about his incarcerated father. If you can keep cool through all of that and win, buddy, you're doing something right. You are very special. He needs more wins to do that, to really just to sure. give some historical perspective. But what he showed on Saturday is, here's a question, is he the best welterweight walking the planet right now? I don't know how he couldn't be. I don't know how he couldn't be, which leads us, Brian Campbell, to the next part of this, which is, do you think he will? Do you think he should fight Jorge Masvidal next? Both would be yes right now. And I've really thought about this deeply. It's not only the best matchup to make from the rankings in terms of who's most deserving. Well, because it's the only matchup. It's the only make. matchup. And without question, Jorge Masvidal is mighty deserving. But the whole reason why you might think against that is the idea that Jorge Masvidal's celebrity star at the moment is so bright and it's rare for somebody to get to that point organically that is he bigger than the title? I've heard a lot of those arguments. And in this case... If it, if it was ready to make something gigantic right now, meaning if McGregor was not coming off of a loss and it was a different scenario and you were ready right now to put Jorge Masvidal in a type of card that could be your biggest selling card of the year, I could understand that. But we're not exactly there yet. And if you're looking at the standpoint of Masvidal's brand, you want him, you want him in there against a Nick Diaz or a Connor to really max, maximize that and hammer it home. But the Connor fight is more of a fight to make to be honest, after he loses to Habib in the rematch. Because at that point, it won't be about Conor McGregor, lightweight title contender. It'll be about Conor McGregor, celebrity fighter. And you can really cash in a BMF, Masvidal, Conor at any point. Jorge's still in that, in that bubble right now that says not just a celebrity fighter might actually be the best welterweight in the world if given a chance to prove it. That's why I think it's just a perfect setting, perfect timing. Also, the only really big matchup that makes a lot of sense where I think you have to do that because... It's not just that his star is so bright. It's the way in which he took care of Nate Diaz that, that really made me go, okay, he's, he's even better than I realized up to this point. He is certainly a lot better. But, to, again, if you don't make the Jorge Masvidal fight with Kamaru Usman, you have to dig into the top six, seven, eight, because all the top five at that point I mean, are going to go. It's, it, the dude uh, that, that Jorge gave the three-piece to, that's the only other name dude, available. You start, you're starting to fight like the Pettises and the Diaz yes. at that point. It really begins to make not a whole lot of sense. So we'll see what happens. Uh, Shout out to Leon, Leon Edwards. That's who I'm forgetting his name. But, of course, Kamaru already beat him. Kamaru already that's beat him. This point. is the point. And 
kind of dominated him along the way as well. Um, here's the thing about getting Masvidal next. Again, I go back to the fight metric numbers. How good is Masvidal? As I've said this a million times, he is good at everything. He can wrestle. He can strike. He can box. But what was the BMF title all about? Many, many, many things. But from a fighting standpoint, it wasn't anti-wrestling. It was against guys who had done what Kamaru had done, dot, dot, dot up until Saturday night. It was guys who are real heavy on positional control. And to be fair, it was actually a little bit more Colby than Kamaru because Kamaru, unlike Colby, does a lot of ground and pound. So not exactly fair in that sense. But if you just look at some of his long three, five-round decisions, there is obviously an element of criticism there. That's the interesting part here. I wonder if the UFC might say, well, okay, maybe he was that, but look at what he just did against Colby Covington going for almost the full five rounds. Absolutely, utterly, the entire time on his feet. He was quite hittable, but also he was doing great work himself. Big power, as you noted, great gas tank the whole time. And I don't think Colby was really ever hitting him with something that was giving him too much danger, giving him a reason not to stay in there and try to outbox him. I think he caught... Kamaru a couple of times when he wasn't prepared for it and literally stumbled him and also maybe stung him a little bit. I'm sure the punches hurt, but you're right. Never anything to dissuade him. Also, if you've ever seen any Kamaru uh, uh, sparring videos with guys like Michael Johnson and other ones, he loves to get zinged a little bit and then just drive back into you, which is kind of exactly what we saw in the end. But here's my point if you're Masvidal. While I do believe that Kamaru got a bit of a bump from this fight, bigger bump than he got from Woodley, by the way, because it was the main event and it was Colby raising the stake in the way that he had. If you just looked at what the after-fight talk was, it was really about sticking it to Colby. Whether that's fair or not, we'll talk about in a minute. It wasn't exactly in huge praise of Kamaru. It was in praise of the job Kamaru did. So I do yeah, think... but why, why wouldn't Jorge do anything else? I mean, do you, do you think he willingly wants to go out of his way to fight a guy who can completely, potentially neutralize him? That's my whole point. It's like, if you're Jorge Masvidal, you can wrestle and you can strike, but the data on him has been yes. if guys can spam him with takedown attempts, he doesn't get overwhelmed to the point where he gets choked out and, like, you know, beaten to a pulp, but he might lose a decision. Do you think from a... Mar- and I always try to stay in the, the mind... the, the the headspace of what is UFC thinking? Because obviously they're always thinking with the bottom line first and the, and the, the metrics and the financials and all that. Do you think that Masvidal would be damaged from the kind of potential one-sided loss he could face against Usman where it would hurt you moving forward if you wanted to match him against a Nick Diaz or against a uh, Conor McGregor in the future? I don't think it necessarily would. I don't think it would, I don't think it would be, well, it would be an, uh, an, uh, an, a before and after thing. Whereas before, we had all this interest, now we have none. I don't think it necessarily helps his brand if he goes there and fights Kamar Usman and then survives and has a moment here or there, but ultimately just gets out-wrestled by this big, strong, incredible guy. Um, but if I'm, if I'm Masvidal's people and I spoke to them on the night of 244, and I asked for them, what's next? Colby's got to be next if he wins. They're like, nope, not next. And I was thinking, why? Why not? They're like, we want the biggest money possible. Do the biggest money possible. If you're, if you're right, which is Connor goes Cerrone, then Habib, and then 170, if you're right in that, Masvidal's going to sit out. And it puts the UFC in an uncomfortable position because now they're like, well, Kamaru is clearly our best 170. Well, Masvidal may not want to fight him. Now, Masvidal might because he wants that title, so it could get a little complicated there. But if Masvidal decides to sit out, then you have Kamaru fighting people who are totally out of their depth. Well, it's got to be point. Masvidal next. I, I want to talk about Colby. I know you do, too. Yeah. So I want to interrupt you and say this. Uh, there were a lot of moral victories on this card. I thought a lot of people fared so well in defeat that raised their own stock. Hashtag Jose Aldo. Uh, damn right. Uh, Colby, once again, 
proved a lot to me. You know what I mean? First, it's like, can this style work against certain guys? And I was, I was like, well, Robbie Waller is going to step in and break this chain, right? No, he wins it. I wouldn't have guessed that Colby was that tough to do that for nearly 25 minutes and fight at that level and fight through a broken jaw the final two-plus rounds. How'd you have it heading into the fifth? I had it... Uh, Three to one, Kamaru, with full knowledge that one to two of those rounds could easily be flipped because, for the most part, it was on even terms. And there were some rounds where Covington's volume may have edged the fact that I thought Kamaru was landing the bigger punches. Yes. And there were two key moments where I think right hands showed Colby visually hurt for a brief second, but that was the only sort of data we were collecting from the idea of who's landing more damaging shots. So I was fine on three to one, Kamaru. I know that the scorecards were one slightly for Kamaru, one for Colby, and one even at that point. But Huge moral victory from the standpoint that I had sort of set up a scenario that it would be all or nothing for Colby, meaning he bet on himself the last two years, went with this ridiculous character, trying to get everybody mad, trying to raise his stock, pissing off Dana White, pissing off anybody, and it would only pay off if he won the championship because I assumed he would go down in a – if he didn't win, I assumed he would go down – the plane would go down with flames. It didn't. No. He actually raised his stock, and I think there are plenty of marketable matchups moving forward you can make with him, going kind of going across a couple different yeah, divisions. Yeah, Dana White even saying he liked the idea of Kobe versus Tyron Woodley. Got to be honest, so do I. Damn I think right. It's an appropriate and with one. that backstory where it could get a little gross and dirty, there, like like right here, right. Don't now. want you to lose your notes for uh, slapstick hour. All right. Real quickly though, let's get to it here. No, about, not quickly. Let's hang in here. Don't be I know, afraid Jay of that guy. Jay is in my Don't ear being like, let's go and talk about uh, Bellator prelims. No, I actually Jay. Know how old we talk about the main event. Uh, hold on. Colby, should we feel sorry for him? Now, I absolutely think you're right about the moral victory there. I mean, again, the judges had it 3-1, 1-3, 2-2. I mean, this was very, very close. I do agree that when Kamaru hit Colby, it seemed to move him in a way that wasn't exactly the same. And again, Kamaru had that big third round before he had the big fifth round. So to me, I think I had it either 2-2 or 3-1. I stopped scoring after the first two, and I had it split at that point. But the point being is, I thought... I thought for sure the knives were going to come out, and they did come for him. Everybody was tr- taking a shot at him. Uh, and the fact that he had his jaw broken is sort of like MMA God saying something and about a vicious this. vicious cut under his eye, too. But the reality is, he, in terms of what he showed, he made you believe that, number one, another time with Kamaru, if he makes some adjustments, he might be able to win. You certainly like his chances against anybody else in that top five, mm-hmm. for sure. I will say this, though. I saw people being like, oh, you're going to kick a guy while he's down? Well, no, I'm not. I mean, the guy broke his jaw. But he would deserve it. Hold if on. He let me, let me say, he broke his jaw showing legendary heart. So as a competitor, as a guy who observes competitors, you look at that, and that is just elite-level stuff, and there's no other way to describe it other than that. But, dude, this guy went out of his way to say incendiary things about dead people, about people's yes. family and incarcerated people. He made fun of Matt Hughes for getting hit by a train. He toes the line on racial stuff, too, a lot. So, yeah, he's an, he, his, he cosplays as an alt-right troll, let's yeah. be honest. And so when he leaned into that character, he knew exactly what was going to happen, and he just did it anyway. It's not in me to say, oh, I'm so glad he's hurt, because I'm not. I, I was, take no joy in it. But if you feel like you want to say something about it, you are well within your right to I do so. I thought the stoppage was fine, given the knowledge we knew about the jaw. His face was a grotesque, swollen mess. I guess there's an argument. Hey, man, there's 10 seconds to go in the this back fight. Of the head thing Can was you bad. give him a chance? It was bad. But I really think that the referee had it full on his rights, given the, the danger you saw on his face. Even with 10 seconds to go, it kind of harkens back to Chavez and Meldrick Taylor, where it's like, man, just let him finish. Yeah. See what the scorecards would have been. I was fine with that. Monday morning quarterback, though, are you fine – in hindsight, with his strategy, in the sense that, look, I almost feel like he Colby was strategy? Colby was outgunned in every category by a guy who's slightly better than him in my eyes in every single category. Looking back, 
should he have tried to wrestle? Rather than just go out there and say, I think my gas tank's going to outwork you, and in the end, whether it's decision or knockout, I believe in myself that I can win this fight. He couldn't do it. I suspect if they meet a second time, there will be some adjustments like that. It's just this time going in, maybe he had an injury, maybe he felt like it'd be better for him in the long term, maybe he thought he could just get his pace going. He made a series of assumptions. I think some of them played out, and some of them didn't, so he paid for it in the end. In terms of the stoppage, I'm not mad at Mark Goddard in the sense that he saw Colby get dropped twice and then reach out with his hands, grabbing a C-grip, and then you know his face was down. So you see that, and you're not moving. I get why the referee would yeah. intervene. You on see the other that C-grip, you go for the C-block. That's what I'm talking That's, about. <laughs> and so I got that a little bit. On the other hand, the punches to the back of their head, it's a, it's a problem in MMA you know, generally. I don't think Kamara's a dirty fighter. And Colby was still kind of in it a little bit when they, when they immediately stopped. So, But that's just material you can sell for the rematch. Also, again, Colby handling it not with a terrible degree I of I respect grace. him running out of the cage. It's on brand for the character. No, but about the tweet to Mark Goddard? Yeah, yes. You know, it's like, I mean, I just... I felt this whole week, by the way, that Colby was getting sick of this act, of having to do this yes. act. And I thought a victory would have got would have allowed him at the point to just be like, look, guys, it was an act. I'm done with it. I made it to the mountain He was top. dying to tell the world that it was. Yeah, and I felt like he, uh, it's going to be interesting moving forward how much he commits to that character to try to stay relevant or if he feels like he's already established that. Let's move on to the co-main event. There's plenty to talk about, of course, but Jay being Jay, I have to move along. And the co-main event, Alexander Volkanovsky, your new UFC featherweight champion of the world, defeating Max Holloway without a ton of controversy, Brian Campbell. Now, it's so funny. I went back and I checked on the uh, morning combat last week, and we did this conversation where we said, who was the livest dog on there? Brian Campbell, do you recall who I said was the livest dog in that, of, the, of the three title fights? I, just, I said GDR, who was pretty damn live herself. Oh, you got very way. close. You got very close as well. But in the end, which we'll talk about in just a second, but of course, Volkanovski is your new champion. There's a big question about how surprised should we be by this, and I don't think we should be. Now, I'll also do a mea culpa. I thought in the end, Max kind of might find a way to get it done, and he did make some adjustments. He made some championship adjustments. He did. Shout in the fourth and fifth round. That's what today's dissected episode is about. By so the way, I sat in on Professor Salt and Pepper here. It's good stuff. You do want to check it out. Now, with that in mind, I don't think we should be surprised for two reasons. One, if you watch the Mendez fight while Volkanovski did get tagged, he showed all kinds of incredible metal coming back and some of the same setups and camouflage and misdirection he'd been working on. And then if you watch that Aldo fight, there was no fanfare for that because I think it was the co-main event. It was in Brazil. Jose Aldo never got dropped. Jose Aldo never got his back taken. Jose Aldo wasn't even really bleeding. He just got systematically dissected. He, he just got beaten. Then you look at this fight, and it was many of the same tricks he brought from Aldo. But here's what I noticed. These guys at City Kickboxing are doing something special. And one of the many things that they're doing, among all the fainting we've talked about ad nauseum, is, dude, they audit you. Oh, hell yeah. They, they audit do. you. They look at your game in grand detail. And someone like Max Holloway has got a lot of tape. Right? Look at all the records for longest fight this and many, many strikes that. Well, that means there's a lot of tape to look at. Dude, they look at all of it and they pick it apart piece by piece and they develop a ridiculously good game plan for it. That guy, Alexander Volkanovsky, he's going to fight Max Holloway again. But my prediction is until he does, Brian Campbell, he ain't losing. No, I got to, I got to. Uh, take it honest with you. Look, I, I, some you know sometimes I'm. What do you I usually do? I haven't rolled on the mats for for years. I didn't fight in the Marine Corps like you, so I can be a filthy casual in terms of hearing Jimmy and seeing it. I didn't necessarily see how great Alexander Volkanovsky was each step. And do you know what illuminated me? Not necessarily watching your ass at the, yeah, it's the screen, you. although it was good. Glad to know I didn't have no help. Media day this week in Vegas, all right? I get really? the one-on-one with Volkanovsky. Look, I've been duped before by many a woman, right? Never trust a big button to smile. I've also been duped by many a fighter who's basically like. 
I got I, it. I love a big I one. I got it. I'm going to win. I've been duped by that before because of the confidence. I heard a different kind of confidence come out of Alexander Volkanovsky in the one-on-one, in which he basically was like, look, no disrespect to my opponents, but a lot of my opponents are casuals when it comes to the full understanding of what's going on inside the cage. He goes, not everybody is like myself and Max. I like that he gave respect to Max. He went on to break down. I'm going to win this fight because I'm smarter, because my IQ is bigger, because I broke down every single part of Max in the buildup, and I'm going to take his strengths and use it against him yep. just like I did to Jose Aldo. And I started to have a conversation with us. I go, look. That Aldo fight, you made it look so easy that we were questioning whether Aldo just didn't try down the stretch. He was just not pulling the trigger. And he went on to give me a breakdown of how he was able to take Aldo's technique and use it against him. And I came out of that interview like texting people, not running up to the to the betting window, although I thought about it, but texting people going like, um, this guy's even liver hmm. than we realize, and we're already sort of saying, look, this guy's got a good chance here. I believed in his confidence so much, but I wanted to see it play out. And what I saw on Saturday night was him doing exactly what he told me he was going to do. And it's, it's mind-blowing stuff for somebody who's maybe not as on the inside as you are in terms of breaking it down to be able to visually see what he was able to do, taking away Max's jab the whole time. Think about it. Max Holloway is a guy who's such a technical brawler, right? He uses technique and timing and distance and all that stuff. But he does it to get close to you and take care of you. Right. And so many people try to beat him at his greatest strength, right? Because they can't take him down, so they're like, I got to outpace him or I got to outslug him, and it doesn't happen. This is a guy who did it the inverted way, who came from behind the computer and started pulling wires. I mean, this was like that one shot that would take the damn Death Star down, and he was able to deliver that over five rounds in brilliant fashion, making adjustments, everything that you said and dissected that people should talk about, the defensive responsibility, all that stuff. I came away going... Luke is right when Luke says the people down there in Australia, the people down there in New Zealand are doing something different. It's next level. It's here's the other part about it, too. It's like, do you remember what? And again, I'm not picking on you because I think what you had said was representative at the time. A lot of people felt that way, including former UFC champion Chris Weidman. When Adesanya beat Silva, they were like, well, was that all that impressive? And I'm like. If, if what you're looking at is for big uppercuts that send their head, you know, and, and Ganu versus Overeem style, well, then yes, it is a bit of a letdown. But when you really begin to look at what they're doing, it, it's, it's almost like they lull you into a false sense of security because it looks, to a degree, maybe boring, kind of weird motions. You don't quite understand what the level of what the, or the, what the purpose is. But then when you begin to realize what the purpose is, it is to have a striking game completely encased in surprise, misdirection, and confusion. That might make it a little bit harder to land that big punch that puts somebody out, but it makes it very difficult for an opponent to defeat. And that's exactly what you got. I mean, his constant uh, ownership of distance was was humbling to watch in the front row up close and really yeah. see that. How every time Max was Humble about brag. to set up <laughs> and, and do what he does best, Volkanovski's just flipping the script. Right. So when, when Max made those adjustments a little bit later, crowding him a little bit, going to the body was the big, big Southpaw change. Southpaw stance was a big switch. Southpaw stance, even though the commentators kind of downplayed it a little bit. That, that was big. So to me, it's like I don't think Max is that far away from being able to, one, get back there, and two, giving Volkanovski a run for his money. To the point where you raised about this, it's like this is what I love about MMA. It's not merely that you have ascendant fighters like Whitaker and Hooker and Adesanya and Volkanovski and all these guys from the Oceania region. It's that in the case of city kickboxing, dude, they – do you remember what Ronda Rousey did for the women's game where she came in there and she was just thrashing yeah, where, people? Yeah, where Ronda Rousey's fine ass at, right? She, 
why do you got to be so weird? She was showing that there's a level of physicality that's missing. She showed, not that everyone got good at judo, but she just raised everyone's level of understanding, again, certain defensive concepts, how to train properly, what it means to be an athlete. And there were other women who contributed as well. Dude, I really believe eventually the rest of the game is going to catch up to what these guys are doing at City Kickboxing. But right now, uh, what they're doing is pacing everybody. And two, they're going to show the rest of the world that you have things you need to improve on, including but not limited to their world of feints. And once everyone does, MMA striking is going to get even better. It's just crazy. From the most basic way of looking at that fight, you never would have guessed that someone's going to walk in there and knock knock Max Holloway out. You never would have guessed that someone's going to go in there and take him down and grind him out. And you never would have guessed that someone's going to out-cardio him and out-volume him yet again. Volkanovski flipped the flipped the paradigm upside, you know, flipped upside down, and just kind of did it the, from right. reverse. A little reach round action there it was us. Very. Uh, You're getting weirder with every minute of the show, Pastor. Can you keep the slapstick in, in uh, check until we get to the slapstick hour? Um, last thing about this: Who's the toughest challenge for him? Not named Max Holloway. I've been racking my brain about this. I actually don't. I can't. Let's talk about that top five at featherweight. Who are we, who are we looking at right? So now? there's Holloway up there. Uh, chance. Let me. I could pull up the list here if you want. But is there any name that kind of stands out? I mean, to you? you got Korean Zombie going in there. Against, I don't think uh, he's. Um, I don't, there's a. Uh, Ortega Yair? would be. Very very interesting. Ortega against Volkanovski? Oh, Ortega, I think, would have his day. So one is Volkanovski. What are you saying? Volkanovski would chew up Ortega? Yeah. Not on the ground, but I don't think he would ever go to the ground, so it doesn't matter. Uh, three is Aldo. Already beat him. Four is Zabit. And then five is ooh, Edgar. Ooh, Zabit. Zabit is Zabit's an interesting one. Because of the length. Now, he and, just beat and the... Cater, but he was kind of fading in that third round. And you... Zabit is untra- unorthodox, untraditional in his. Yeah, and he's his... tricky, too. The thing is, though, the cardio might pay a difference there. Don't, don't count on Ortega, though. His will is, is mighty, all right? And by the way— There are people, who, including this guy who sits in this chair, who will tell you that Ortega was coming on against Max when his face fell apart, all right? It sounds like a very convincing argument. Uh, all right, then we move to your favorite fight of the card, Jermaine Duran to me. Ooh, buddy, she made things a little bit interesting for Amanda Nunes. Now, in the end, the greatest women's fighter of all time keeps her UFC bantamweight title, but it got dicey there. Brian Campbell. Uh, let's think about it this way. First, what does a win like this do for Amanda Nunes in terms of, if anything, maybe the answer is nothing, but in terms of solidifying her GOAT status? Um, it's, it's a push in that regard, although I think there's many, many elite things you could pull out of her. I mean, her ability to take down GDR at will and just grind her to the ground and pick her up and slam her at any point where there was danger it's certainly elite, and it's another part of her completely well-rounded game, right? She, she brought in the gas tank. She brought in the full package, right, from her early days. But if you're going to be real fine-tooth combed and pick a little bit of negatives for the reasons why she wrestled so much in the, in the third, fourth, and fifth rounds, I think there's room to do that. Now, it's, it, it, fighters can't win, right? But would you, hold on, would you make the same criticism of Kumaro if he wrestled Jorge? Well, that's the thing. Fighters can't win because sometimes they'll criticize, you know, Floyd Mayweather used to get that. Man, he's not going in there and trying to knock guys out. Well, he's efficient and sticking to what he does best, and he's p- picking you apart. In a lot of ways, that's what Nunes figured out in this fight, and she did it rounds three, four, and five and got the victory. And in a couple minutes, we can also criticize Terrence Crawford for going there and brawling a somewhat limited guy and making that fight more excited than it had to be. So you can never win. But within the grounds here, GDR put on a championship-level performance from the standpoint of defense, toughness, and trying to find paths to victory that were tiny openings that she tried to exploit and came pretty close on three or four occasions. So it's one of those things where do you say... Pretty smart of Amanda Nunes. Not take any chances the rest of the way. Got rocked a couple times. Let's just get out of here with a win. Or do you say GDR made her do that, and that's not what GOATs do? I'm not willing to say that. No. I think uh, GOATs win often by dominant display. 
Sometimes they win by hook or by crook. Even Fedor in his prime getting rocked by Kazuyuki Fujita, who is not even on the level of a GDR in terms of a contender. He got rocked. But what, and even I remembered it to this day because it stood out to me at the time when I watched the fight. Rampage was doing commentary with Quadros and Rutan at the time. And Fedor gets rocked, comes back, and then hits that body kick with that right hook, or maybe even a left hook. And then he, you know, essentially stops Fujita, first of all. Rampage made fun of his teeth. But secondly, what he said was, he goes, that's what champions do. That is what champions do. Sometimes champions get pushed. And in this game, nobody is invincible. What I would say is, to me, in terms of adding to her GOAT status, it's not like you can add Duran to me and say, oh, my God, Duran to me was so active. She was beating all the contenders. She was muzzy. You could say she's very talented, but she'd only fought once. This is the first time since 2013, the first time she lost to Amanda Nunes, where she had fought twice in this calendar year. What you can say, though, is she got pushed. And she answered for it. She didn't gas. She didn't make bad decisions. She didn't panic. She listened to her corner, and she used her well-rounded abilities. And she ch- showed a chin. Amanda had to show she a showed chin. A, dude, Jermaine Durand to me whipped Aspen Ladd around with some of the same punches that Amanda Nunes just I took. mean, there were four moments, right? It was the double knee to the face and the kick to the head that was one moment. It was certainly that stiff-ass up kick where you're like, is Amanda out? What just happened right there? And then there was the, uh, the triangle on the bottom. Was there another moment? I mean, there was some like there was legitimate moments where you're like, this fight's going away. There's an upset brewing here. Yeah. And Amanda's ability to stomp that out was great. That's why she's the best. Yep. But at the same time, it's fair to just have the conversation. She fought that slow, predictable, and boring and got those boos in the final three rounds because of GDR's danger. And the other part is GDR's takedown defense. I mean, what she would do is she would fire the underhooks when she would get the stop, and then that would plant her legs, which just gave uh, Nunez all the space she needed to, to get the trip. So, like, Nunez was just setting her up for it and got it very easily. And you could say, well, that's fairly, I'm not calling it rudimentary wrestling, but it's not advanced wrestling. Let's call it that. Maybe someone with more advanced wrestling could do something about it. But then you look down, it's like, okay, well, who is that? She beat Misha Tate. She beat Ronda Rousey. She beat Holly Holm. Uh, she beat Shevchenko twice. Now this. Katzen, well, no, the Katzengano one, she could not. But, you know, Katzengano's not even in the UFC anymore. So that's not going to happen. There's a lot of different ways that you could say, oh, this is a weakness. And it is. It's an identifiable weakness. But every time someone has a chance to take advantage of it right now in her prime, they just can't. I mean, she's great. She's, she's amazingly great. Even with the slightest level of criticism for the way that she took the easier road, I mean, she was absolutely dominant in that first round and knocking GDR down, and she had her best success on the ground in that. But Durandamy, man, is a true iron lady, as the nickname says. Her ability to stop herself from, from getting close to being stopped and be able to responsibly maintain and actually score from the bottom, yeah. what, it completely changed that fight. In some ways, that loss was one of Durandamy's better performances, quite honestly. Our two quick points. One, I thought the class that she showed in shouting out Walt Harris when – I'm not saying the MMA world had forgotten, but she just made sure that they didn't. I really th- I thought that was very touching. And two, that's the good part. The bad part is, dude, who's she going to fight? I mean, I saw that uh, Irene Aldana got a win. Okay, that's nice. Unfortunately, that knocked out Ketlin Vieira, who was right. looking to be a good one. Look, I think Aspen Ladd is the next big one. Outside of the Valentina Shevchenko trilogy, which will eventually happen, yeah. Ladd showed us a lot last week. It's not next, I don't think, but then again, who else is she going to fight? She should probably make a defense at Featherweight at some point. But if you're talking about the next Bantamweight one where I'm saying that person has a chance or that person is interesting, Lad's strong. She can wrestle. All right. She's aggressive. She just lost to Duran to me, though. Well, not just, but the one before. 
All right. Well, we'll see. All right. Well, look, when the when the I mean, why is Jessica I getting a title shot at flyweight? Because there's nobody else there. We're in that we're in that sort of scenario right now where one good win sometimes can put you back in the conversation. Takes us to some other news and notes from that main card. How about let's talk about the bantamweights? Jose Aldo losing a very controversial split decision to Marlon Moraes. There's a lot of different ways to talk about this, which is how you scored it and why, what it all means. Let me just first assess whether or not Jose Aldo got robbed. If your definition of robbed is decision I don't like or debatable, well then yes, he got robbed. If, you're, if, if what the definition of robbed is, is that the judges got it wildly inaccurate, I'm sorry, it's, it's just disputed. not true. It's, it's not a robbed. It's, 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 not, it's not true. Again, the argument is not, could you make a case for a one and three rounds for Jose Aldo, of course you can. And if you did, I don't take I don't take any issue with it. He got numerically outstruck, 20 to 15, but that doesn't necessarily tell you the full story. So if you wanted to do that, that's fine. Um, if you want to have a Marlon Marais scorecard, that's fine too. The, the big takeaway here is that scoring system, the 10-point must system, allows for such broad interpretation of what they're seeing where they don't have stats, they can't go back and revise their scorecards. Spatially, they might have certain strengths and weaknesses depending on where the fight takes place relative to their seated position. They have certain biases about what they like and what they don't like. It's not a great way to adjudicate disputes, to be quite sure. honest with you. So you end up getting these disputes in the end. I'm not Again, there's no problem with saying Jose Aldo won. The problem is in saying that's the only acceptable well, response. Look, the last two minutes of the final round, Jose Aldo unfortunately gave that fight away to Marais. He wasn't active enough. Marais was smart enough to just sort of do the only punch he can do, which is sort of a leaping jab because he had the speed advantage. And I thought he was able to give himself an argument. In the end, the judges took that argument and they scored it. What's interesting, though, Luke, mm-hmm. is I had one of the better interviews with J- Jose that I ever had. He looked at Media Day under a black leather hood, completely covering his body so looked you couldn't terrible. see. It. Looked angry, terrible, and that's essentially what I said to him straight up. I go, you look like a Star Wars villain, man. What the heck's going on underneath that leather coat? And he goes, as simply only Jose, a warrior, can go, mark my words, I'm going to be the next champion at 135. And I will say this. We're talking about moral victories this weekend. He looked I don't want to say great, because it's not prime featherweight, Jose Aldo. But for a guy who told me this week, I should have been at 135 my whole career. I've never had a nutritionist before. I've never felt this good. His body looked great. And he settled into a role at 33, Luke, where he's this menacing slugger. And he has all-time great toughness, great technique, great knowledge of the game. But yet he's settling into the role of dangerous slugger at this smaller weight class. This is going to be fun to watch. Yep. And he very much is a title contender. And I know that it's getting complicated by that cringy Henry Cejudo video that's what out there now. But, but um, it w- that would break all the rules, by the way. Cejudo wants Jose Aldo next, not anybody else. I mean, please spare me. And it would break all the rules for Jose Aldo to get that. But, like, as the fan in me, I, I, I don't know what happened. I've, I've fallen into Jose Aldo super fan mode. Well, he and, totally – And, and I, he'll need a win to get there. But I, I need to see him in a title fight at 135. Yeah, I mean, if he had won this, you could have given the title shot against Henry Cejudo. Poor Joseph Benavidez would be out in the cold. Um, but, okay, did he exceed expectations on the scale? Absolutely. Did he exceed Jose Aldo? Did he exceed expectations in the fight? Wildly. I didn't think he was going to make weight, and I thought he would look terrible doing it. And again, I don't know about long-term this being a great choice, but did he look to me like he still had zip and pop in the third round? And here's another part that no one's talking about. Between the Cejudo fight and the Aldo fight, there's an identifiable weakness in Marlon Marais' game. If you can crowd him and get in his face and push him, not only does that style of movement tax him, he's just not nearly he as effective. He also kind of pours a little bit out too much in the first round. He's right. very quick, very aggressive, right. and then he's catch, playing catch-up the rest People of the People are going to take note of that, so that's another thing to consider. So I would agree. If you can get like one, maybe two wins, uh, this is an easy thing to but make. This, is, uh, this second half of his career, Luke, it's really fun. And some of that is because... 
he's slowing down just a bit. His defense is really not on, like, top-level point. He gets hit too much, but that's part of what is, I think, going to make this a fun chapter of his career. I don't want to see him in there with in brawls where he's relying on his chin to survive, but I like this. If this is a couple-year experiment to see if he can get to the title run, yeah. I like his identity at 135. The only thing is this is just a specul- speculative point. I literally have no information to this effect. People talk about why he abandons the leg kicks. He does it a little bit, not hardly much anymore. My, my belief is not that that is a technical evolution. I mean, I'm sure that's part of it, right? He wants to use his hands a little bit more and doesn't want to kickbox, like likes the, the weapons there. I'm guessing there's some kind of injury or some kind of physical limitation from years of well, wear and doesn't tear. Doesn't that seem like a, a method that slowly goes away with age? Does it, does it, do you have to use more cardio to be able to, to keep up a high kick? Uh, well, he, but he doesn't, have a, he doesn't have a Volkanovski in and out, side to side style. He likes yeah. to plant and then throw. I mean, look at Weinstein. Guys get very handsy with age, right? You don't see the kicks as much. You are the worst person in America. Osama bin Campbell is who your name is <laughs> wow, from now wow. on. All right. All right. But, but point, point being is uh, I'm excited about Jose Aldo 135. I think you feel the same. I'm less excited, Brian Campbell, as you can barely contain a smile. <laughs> I'm less excited. About doing the show today? Osama bin Campbell. Box cutter Campbell. Uh, I'm less excited about Uriah Faber. He looked pretty athletic for 40. He, he looked, looked great pre- for 40. Yeah. And, and, he looked end, pretty yeah. good early. But, dude, you can see why after beating Ricky Simone, he was like, yeah, I want to fight for the title. Because, hey, everyone wants to fight for the title. And, two, buzzsaws who are nameless exist deep into 135, including but not limited to Peter Yan. Dude, he is a nightmare for yeah. everybody. Walk. He walks you down. He switches stances. And when he gets going... Dude, it's lights out. A lot of guys who are modern strikers, there are a lot of stick and movers. No, 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 no. He's a back you up and bomb on you type, and he is clever and, doing and it. And in his limited in his limited English, he's kind of a hilarious trash tra- tra- he talker. Is. As you saw with that video with Kobe Garbrandt afterwards. Yeah, and he, he said he was going to knock Faber out. It was going to be hard because he has two chins. Oh, I mean, he was going yeah, after he, him. he goes, this, this guy is 40. Why Why a California kid? He should be California granddaddy. I was rolling. This guy's fired So up. two questions then. Who should Jan fight next, and should Faber retire? Uh, Jan should get a title shot from this. Aljo's not ready. Wow, you think so? I think so. There are a lot of veteran names in this pool right now. Faber was one of them. Edgar flirted with it. Aldo just lost. I think when you look at it, Peter Jan is on one hell of a run. And it's not Peter. And he told me, stop saying it's Peter. Peter it, I don't think anyone has figured out what it is. Because on the broadcast, they're saying Pioche, Peyote, uh, Petra. <laughs> There's a lot of real... Uh, yeah. Jan Jacek. Uh, basically... Look, he's showing you championship-level pedigree. It might be a little bit early, but look at the run. Look at the dominant run that he's on. He comes in there to do what he's supposed to do, which is get you the hell out of there and do it violently. And Faber really poured out the jug in, 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 in big-time marbles for taking this fight, 100%. He, you know, he was trying to get that Bisping ending to his story. But this is the law of nature. This is the food chain. Right. He was supposed to lose to Jan. If Jan is the real, Jan's the real. Oof, get him a title shot. shot. Get him a friggin' title shot. He did bad things to that aging skater's face. That was that was uh, some serious stuff. Yeah, this is a game. And we all, and it's, it's exactly the same in boxing. Uh, I remember when Pacquiao beat De La Hoya. I felt the exact same way, which is to say, dude, this is a game where the young feast on the bones yes. of the elderly. Unless the elderly is... Uh, you know, putting those things on in their, TRT, putting those things in their veins. Yeah, right? maybe that changes the equation. But in general, that is how the system goes. Yeah. And so it's not like and I thought Dana White actually. We you know certainly we probably all disagree with him a lot of the time. But I thought he made a good point. It's not that they couldn't give Uriah fights and then he could win them. In which case he might stick around. But you just look at the top of that division: Marais, Sterling, Sanhagen, Jan is at four. Although this is before the updated rankings, Asuncao at five, Munoz, Rivera, Garbrandt, Font, and Stamen. 
dude, I like all of their chances against him. And if that's going to be the case, again, I'm not, I'm not like, you have to retire because I think he can still be competitive with a certain kind make of UFC fights with him. If he, if he still has Fine. it, make, exactly. goals, make could, main events. But the problem with 135 is that it is a naturally younger division. These younger guys are filling these lighter weight classes a little bit more readily. So he's in a bit of a tough spot there. I don't think he's got to retire right away, but, you know, you go and fight like a, like a, a even a, a, the guy who got Horde, Corey, Corey Sandhagen. Corey Sanhagen would easily win that fight. Yeah. So, something to consider. All right, let's move to the boxing side of the equation. Uh, now, I will give you complete credit. I, I was criticizing you earlier. I will now give you total praise. Every week we come in here, and there's a name that Brian Campbell keeps saying. Uh, Two Polish guys touched in tips? I knew you were going to make a sex joke, you fucking predictable clown. I love you. All right, but here's the point. He has been saying for weeks at this point, dude, have you been watching Teofimo Lopez? Have you been watching Teofimo Lopez? And I'm like, I'll get around to it. I'll get around to it. And I finally got around to it, and I watched. He goes in there and beats Richard Comey, who was in the co-main event. I want to start with him. I know we'll get to Brooke Crawford, who I know was the main event, but to me the star was, was Teofimo Lopez. He goes in there and just bombs on Richard Comey, stops him in the second round with relative ease, I would argue. It was not very competitive. I mean, and Comey was a very good uh, uh, boxer. And I believe that he got the, uh, yes, he won the WIBF lightweight title as a process at Teofimo Lopez. Now it looks like they are setting up a fight with Vasily Lomachenko. Go first, Brian Campbell. Help folks understand, one, very quickly, who is Lopez? Two, why was this win so monumental? And three, why is the boxing world buzzing about a fight with Lomachenko? Look, Teofimo Lopez Jr., uh, Honduran in background from New York, his Hashtag the takeover is his thing. He's had some spectacular knockouts on the rise in almost Roy Jones fashion, exploding just from all angles. Just a real unorthodox fighter who can fight orthodox and just explode in weird ways and take you out of there. But obviously, once you get up to that title level, sometimes when you can be found out. This is a kid who's just 22 years old, and it was tough to know what this fight was going to look like on Saturday because Richard Comey's such a proven badass. He's from Ghana. Boxers from Ghana are tough ass outs. They're going to be there all night in your face and this guy's got a stiff jab making punch but Lopez was coming off that fight this summer feature fight on ESPN against Masahoshi Nakatani in which he just didn't look right he looked like a prospect who has the explosive ability but maybe doesn't have the actual background and the jab and the setup in boxing where if you put him in there with a veteran who can fight and who can take his punch he may have issues he cruised to a wide decision but really looked unspectacular finding out in the aftermath crazy drama in his life. He gets married. His family outspokenly thinks his wife is a gold digger. His dad's his trainer, but his dad is batshit crazy. Now, is, he, is he like Angel Garcia batshit? Yes, or? Angel Garcia level batshit crazy. Genius in the head, no formal training, yet helped Junior get to this explosive, amazing level. But at 22, when you interview Teofimo Lopez Jr., you realize this kid is a man inside that brain. He's been through a lot in his life, and he has an ability to just slow it all down and a confidence level and a charisma that's intoxicating, but all that's well and good if you can't win. And when he goes into this fight against Comey at just 22, a lot of people saying, this is too fast. And let's not forget, his dad's been chirping for a year. We're going to beat Comey, and then we're going to knock out Lomachenko. And his dad started to write checks that you're wondering if the kid can't cash. His dad went up to Lomachenko before Lomachenko's fight against Pedraza, got in his face and said, we're going to knock you out in three rounds. Mm. So that sets the stage here for a kid who had a lot going on. His promotion team, everyone around him, wants his dad out of his corner. They brought in a second trainer, Joey McGamash, to kind of like help and ease. Yet he put that all on, went into this title fight, and absolutely blew away Richard Comey and made him look like he he was some prospect. 
And then what you tweeted out is this uh, picture of boxing sex candy, him and Lomachenko standing next to each other. And the prospect of what's going to happen, if according to top rank next April, of pairing these two together for all the belts at lightweight at 135. Luke, this is a monumental fight to make. And I know all the, the boxing nerds will say, well, BC, uh, isn't Lomachenko now the WBC franchise champion? Yes, it's bullshit. They, they gave Devin Haney a title. Same with Canelo. Still, this is for all four belts in the natural sense, okay? A 22-year-old kid who, when you watch him, it gives you the same feels when we watched a young Oscar, when we watched a young Trinidad, a young Floyd Mayweather, when you're just like maturity way beyond the years and a special flash to them that is like only going to bloom once can, they get more Can I tell you what I saw on the tape? Because again, I'm, you, you are much more familiar with him than I am. When I was looking at the tape, the thing that screamed at me right away was extraordinary boxing IQ matched with very good athleticism. And a there's, there's certain guys who are good athletes and they use it for often purposes of evasion, and I'm sure he does that too. He had light footwork, but he's got that kind of athleticism that adds an oomph to his power, and you match that with smarts, and you match that with the rest of the boxing sensibility. Dude, he jumped off the screen as somebody very special. And none of that works, though, Luke, if you don't have it on the inside. For and sure. I'm telling you from, from interviewing this kid a bunch of times, he's special on the inside, too. I know that when you look at this matchup, right? Lomachenko, basically the pound for pound king. We're in this weird time. Everyone's like, how can ESPN say one week it's Crawford, then the next week they say it's Lomachenko? Because we're in this weird historic time where like four or five guys have legitimate claims. But he's basically now going to go up against the best fighter in the world, Luke. A guy with matrix ability in Lomachenko who does things so unorthodox and so special and just traps you. But he doesn't have, he doesn't have that kind of power. Yet Lomachenko is over his head to a degree at 135 and... Teo is this rising star who you think is eventually going to top out at welterweight. Right. This is one of those perfect old versus young cross. Not quite old. But, you know. Established. Established. Where you just don't know. It's very easy to be like, look, I'm sorry. Teo Fimo looked great, but this is another level with Lomachenko. Yeah. Yet he has that explosion from odd angles that you just can't plan for. If he hits that leaping left hook on Lomachenko, we saw Lomachenko go down against Linares in a great fight. The, you're, he's going to have problems. I don't want to give and by Bob By the way, Aram, to your point about the left hook very quickly, I know you want to give Bobby Aram credit, but to the left hook, that wasn't what dropped Comey. It was a right hand of death that sent him crumbling. And he was more, uh, Teofimo in this fight was more traditional, more orthodox, where normally he comes out there with some of that Roy Jones spectacular stuff. He's proving he can do it all. I don't want to put words in Bob Aram's mouth or give him any ideas here because I hate pay-per-view, but this fight's so good it could actually be a pay-per-view because it's one of those where I have to see what happens. All right, very quickly, Bud Crawford fought a Latvian whose name is totally unpronounceable. He just Kavlyauskas. That's my Lithuanian brother. All right, yes. come on. Kavlyauskas, known as Mean Machine, which is what they kept saying on the broadcast because Lord knows Timothy Bradley would have trouble really getting that out in a consistent and he's basis. He's not Latvian. What is, I, I can't, you know. He's like, not Latvian? No, he's from Lithuania. Oh, Lithuanian, yes. Well, one of the it's both. like me saying you grew up in Cutter. One Can of you the, have respect? Yeah, I know. Full of fake news. Uh, Marty, uh, Brian Fake Newsman. Uh, in one of the Baltic states. Could have been Estonian, too. Who knows? Point being is this. He wins in, through a ninth-round stoppage. He gets... There should have been a knockdown that wasn't counted, which we saw later today. One of the judges actually gave Crawford that round, which is, like, mind-blowingly <laughs> stupid. Okay, but he gets the job done. Timothy Bradley says a bunch of weird things about how all the rest of the uh, welterweights won't fight him. Let me tell you what I saw in this one and get your perspective. Look, in the end, Crawford showed his quality and his, and his class ability. It looked to me like he was fighting not even this guy. He was fighting to maintain people's idea of his status. Yes. 
and he looked a little lazy to me at first, if I could be honest. And I, I'm not saying he didn't take him seriously, because obviously he took him seriously late when he was making the adjustments and stuck it to him, and I thought he made incredible movements, and obviously, look, he's a, he's a talented guy. But dude, he's 32 years old, he hasn't really fought anyone. I mean, here's his last four opponents. Jeff Horn, please. Joe Be- uh, Jose Benavidez Jr. Then he fought Amir Khan, which was a totally embarrassing fight for Khan. And then now this one. It's not that they're not great opponents or, like, or okay opponents, but they're, they're not who he should be right, fighting. He- I, was like, I know they're going to fight Sean Porter. But to me, when I saw this, it just looked to me like he was like, well, everyone expects me to win. I need to maintain a certain image. I'll get it done in the end. It seemed uninspired to I me. I think he's feeling the pressure. He's starting to get edgy with the media. I was supposed to have an interview with him. He, he ended up not showing up this week. Jamal Charlo um, and Bud Crawford, they love you. Um, I think he's starting to really feel that, con- that, that, that critical thing people are saying. Fight the PBC guys. Fight the PBC guys. I think this was kind of similar to Tim Bradley. Remember when he went in there against Ruslan Provodnikov? He was coming off the controversial the win war. against Manny. And he was just like, F it. I'm going to knock this dude out to show yeah. people. I think that's what Bud Crawford did. And he almost got caught in doing that. But he did show you how much of a menacing, beautiful finisher he is. Yes. I think Crawford came in here because looking to make that kind of statement because he's on an island. He might be the best fighter in the world. He might be showing you an all-time great welterweight in, in what we're seeing so far in the full package. He has everything, and he's got a badass backbone, but he's on the wrong side of the street politically. It's just the way it is. All the welterweights to note are on the PBC side, and we know the only way you can make those fights happen, like we're going to see Fury and Wilder 2 in February is to get it at such a hyper pitch that right. the financials just make sense and everybody needs to come together. And you could also you could have done Pacquiao, but Arrow appears to have no interest in making the Pacquiao fight well, against Pacquiao Crawford. Well, Pacquiao didn't want the fight because at the time, a year and a half ago, Crawford wasn't really up to that level and it was one of those things okay, where... Okay, but now? Well, Pacquiao's with PBC right now. So I, understand, I understand. You, but you mean to tell me if Pacquiao, who, by the way, still pulls on pay-per-view, wanted to fight Crawford, if, if there really was high interest from Aram, they would make it? I don't think there's high interest from Aram to but make here's it. But the, here's the argument that's interesting here. I really did not like what Tim Bradley said afterwards. And Tim Bradley ultimately went into the camera and echoed some things Terrence Crawford had said during this fight week, which is, I'm great. I'm on this side. I want to fight all those guys. They don't want to fight me. You need to come to me. I don't need to come to you. And unfortunately, in this boxing politics and business world in 2019, that's just not realistic. Crawford may be the best in the world, but he's got a resume full of B and B pluses. And they're absolutely great victories, but he doesn't have A and A plus victories on his resume. Which is weird that he gets ranked as high as he does. So hold on, we got to move along. They're saying he might fight Sean Porter of this. Porter just came off that incredible fight with Spence. That's even Porter kind of came public and kind of shot it down because just a year ago, Bob Aaron was like, Sean Porter's not good. He's not, we have no reason to fight him. Here's the deal though. It's one thing for Tim Bradley, works for the ESPN broadcast, to come out and shoot his mouth and say, all you PBC guys are scared. You need to come to me. They don't need to come to you. That's how the business works. It was Terrence Crawford who decided to re-up with Bob Arum and top-ranking ESPN for basically a guarantee of $4 million per fight. Not saying he shouldn't have done that, Luke, yeah. but he chose to stay on that side of the street. You know how you get over that side of the street? You do what Terrence Crawford didn't do on Saturday. You grab the microphone and say, Errol Spence, you're scared of me. Danny Garcia, Sean Porter, you're scared of me. Come to fight me. And then there's one other thing you need to do that I'm not sure Terrence Crawford is actually doing. You knock on Bob Arum's door, you kick it open, and you say, I don't care about the business, I don't care about the politics, I don't care about your relationships, I'm 32 years old, and I need to fight the people that will define me as the best fighter of this era. Make the fights happen. And maybe that means Bob Arum having to take a a lower end of the stake money-wise, maybe that means Bud Crawford getting shipped over to a PBC network, which I know is unrealistic in this day and age, but for Tim Bradley and Bud Crawford to say, 
We're here. You guys are afraid of us. It's not how it works in 2019. Well, I'm not here to say Crawford has the same pull that Canelo has at DAZN. Quite, quite, I'm matter-of-factly saying that he doesn't. At the same time, it's just a bad look for your company, in the case of DAZN for Canelo, when Canelo was like, I'm really unhappy with Golden Boy, less so with DAZN, but certainly with Golden Boy. If Crawford came out and made a stink, which is not really in his DNA, he, he seems a very quiet, demure kind of guy. However, if he had people agitating for him in this kind of way that I want the right matchups, one never knows. Certainly if seems you possible. bang that drum and get in front of a TV camera and scream things, Luke, it starts to get written and people right. start to it's take not, notice. It's not that there's not market potential for it. That's, not, that's what Crawford Spence has on the side. Crawford could be our Mayweather-Pacquiao of this sort of mini era, yeah. but we would only get there if people are constantly talking about it. They put the microphone in front of Bud's mouth on Saturday night and he was just like, everybody knows who I want. Yeah, he's so blasé. No, no, bro, say it. Because if you are content, and Bud said he is, with walking away at any point and having a fall Hall of Fame career, he's already had it. He's unified four belts at 140. He's got a three-division champion. He's amazing. But if you want to be the best fighter in your era with no argument, you've got to fight those guys on the other side of the street. You don't have the leverage right now, bud. That's the bottom line. you got to do what you had to do to make these fights happen. All right, let's move along here. We're short on time. So let's do DMs with Donks. This is where we take your questions, Donks. There we have that terrible uh, imaging. DMs from Donks. All right, first up, Brian Campbell from Muay Thai Guy1234. Which champ loses his or her belt first in 2020, Usman, Volkanovski, or Nunes? Now, Nunes has two of them, so I guess her chances of potentially losing are higher. What yeah, is it weird that they're not stripping her? DC wins two belts, they strip him. Connor wins two belts, they wait no, a while. Because she's the champion him. of a division and a half. It's a lot easier to defend the half. What do you think? Who, who loses first? Out of that group... Hard to say. I mean, the, any answer, you're going to get a weird face. I could say Volkanovski, yeah. and you're like, dude, no. did you just see that fight? It, it's it's pretty damn. I mean, Usman has the toughest division. Volkanovski, I'll say Volkanovski in the sense of this, uh, even though we gave him all this praise. It's possible for me that he could rematch Max in 2020, and Max could make the adjustment. Or that it could be closer, and a judge could favor activity. It could right. favor Max going out of his way to make that fight happen. Right. Let's not forget, Volkanovski was brilliant this weekend, but it wasn't dominant and overwhelming. Remember, they attempted the exact same number of strikes, 303. It's just that Volkanovski landed about 20 or so more. Yeah, and as Max said himself, I'm 28, I'm still in my prime, I'm not going anywhere. Right. Uh, we go to Bruno Montreal, says, do you think it's time for the UFC to change their gloves in a way that would minimize eye pokes in fights? People talk about the, um, we talked about this before, the power lock glove or the, the pride glove that would sort of naturally curl the fingers so you could open and make a C-grip, but you couldn't like extend out like that. Uh, we've had this debate before. I mean, yeah. that would seem to make sense. I, I, I mean, I don't know. Is there, is there a more aggressive way of warning and taking away points for guys before an eye poke if you're constantly doing this? I know, and you're supposed to do this, fingertips to the sky rather than this, but no one does. I mean, this is so much more natural as like a paw than this. Who the fuck does that besides crossing guards? Uh, so it's a little bit weird. Yeah, we've had this conversation before. Good job. Is Jay speeding you up? We got some good stuff today. I feel like we're leaving it all on the floor here. Uh, well, it's already one o'clock, and I have another job. Samuel Ritla, uh, Samuel Rit LA, I guess. Considering the fragile relationship between Woodley and UFC slash Dana, is him openly saying I'm not leaving the country to fight Leon a bad career move? Shouldn't he be more active instead of feeling entitled? No, he's 37 years old. He's going to be 38 soon. Which means if he's not at the end of his, if he's not out of his prime, he is very, very close to the end of it. Uh, he hasn't fought since that loss to Usman, and now with Colby losing, you got a great opportunity to ricochet right back to. The, I know he's already ranked number one in the division, but 
to ricochet right back to the top of the contendership queue. Because while the fight with Woodley and Usman left very little to the imagination, uh, I honestly feel like the batter blood is between Woodley and Covington. And if you can use that effectively with a win and a good fight promotion, dude, you can do a lot with that. So I agree. he's got some options. And Dana, as I said before, Dana even said, yeah, I kind of like that fight. What do you think? Um, I like when, when guys realize they're in that period of their career. Make money and fight other celebrity names. So why am I going to fight three or four contenders on the way? Why, I just sit back and wait for the right offer. Also, dude, fighting Leon Edwards is like a no-win position. Yes. A, he's hard to beat, very hard to beat, w- and doesn't do anything for you from a popularity yes. standpoint. Anderson Silva had a bunch of those fights in the last three, four years, which is like, this makes no sense, right? right? Showcase him, feature him. Don't put him in there against a guy in line to try to get into the title picture. Now, we were just talking about Terrence. This is a bit of news to me. This comes from the Combat Hour with talks of Crawford moving to 160, he wants to go to middleweight? Do, what do you believe to be the toughest fight for Terrence, ex, ex, excuse excluding Canelo? I think this is just talk. Terrence did give these comments. He's, dude, if he got 160. About going to 160. But that's, he's a, he's a, if, let's say he did it. I've seen both in person. Canelo is much bigger than Dude, that's him. a bridge too far. I realize when you're making those comments, it's a little bit more to say, like, I need to have more options. Bob Barham said it himself. If they don't get the PBC guys from the other side of the street, the biggest fights available to him, unfortunately, are the guys coming up from 140. It's the Jose Ramirez's who has two titles right now. It's the Regis Prograis, the Josh Taylors. They just had a, a great fight mm-hmm. to unify titles at 140. It's probably those guys are the best fights available. I mean... Would you even want to see him at 160? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. He's, he, he might be the Sugar Ray Leonard of this era, which is why I'm getting so aggressive now. You're 32. Let's see these fights, right? Yeah, let's see the fight that... Instead of going to a division that makes little sense, why don't we find the people in your division that do? Obviously, easier said than done. Uh, I don't have much of a comment there. All right, this comes to us from Infamazi. Infamazi? With Mikey Garcia signing with Days In... What do you expect for him in the year 2020? Well, the deal he signed was a little bit weird where it was one oh, wait, fight. Has, uh, update me. Has he fought since that Spence fight? No, he hasn't. He signed, and he's very selective on his business dealings. Remember, he took away two years of his prime to get out of his top-ranked deal, right? So he yeah. wants to be in control. He signed a one-fight deal with an option with Eddie Hearn. $7 million for his first fight. They haven't announced it yet, but most people think it'll be Jesse Vargas, which is a decent fight. That's okay. And then the option for Eddie Hearn, the plan is this. Pacquiao has one more fight under his PBC deal. So the idea, if you're Eddie Hearn is to try to make Mikey Garcia against Pacquiao on DAZN. Now, are they talking later. about are they talking about Pacquiao Spence? If, well, it's tough Spence to know the Spence right. situation. I think Pacquiao Porter is one they're they're whispering about. Even though Porter just lost, Porter looked great though in defeat and a and a fight of the year contender. Interesting. And so Pacquiao would be what like 41, 42? Yeah, Pacquiao's uh, he's forty. I mean, and he turns uh, forty one real soon. So and he's fighting Mikey Garcia. By the way, if you haven't you ever seen Mikey Garcia's. Um, Food Truck Diaries? No. You never saw I, I, it? No, I need to watch it, yeah. So, <laughs> Shout out to Shab, right? Yeah, well, here's the thing. They must have scheduled it long in advance, and they scheduled it right after the Spence fight, like right after the Spence fight. So he loses in fairly dominant fashion and then flies out to do this interview with Brendan, and I'm like, dude, that must have been real awkward. <laughs> Brendan must have been like, good, good try. Uh, but credit to Mikey Garcia, dude. He went out there and was like, here's why I lost. Bop, 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 yeah. bop. Oh, he's, he's a great, great interview. He, he's a uh, guy. Yeah. He, uh, he just laid it all bare. I recommend it because he was like, you could tell he was very competitively disappointed, but he didn't seem like hurt and super sad about it. I just don't like him going up to welterweight. He didn't look great against Spence. Uh, maybe he can't make 35 consistently anymore. I don't know that. But around that 40-35 bubble, when you talk about the big names like Lomachenko, like Gervonta Davis, I would love yeah. to see him more 
maintain around that area for the idea of getting him into big fights. Although, look, if this is a journey to get him to Pacquiao and that's the only way for him, that's a giant fight. I, I would, I, I would. I would argue anything above 140, he just starts to look less like himself. He doesn't even look physically all that, I don't know, imposing. Not that he ever looked physically imposing. He always had you know, a narrow frame, but... Oh, by the way, did you see the Lomachenko interview after the Teofimo fight? Yeah, they asked him. They asked him. They go, so what did you think of what he saw? He's like, it was two rounds. I think nothing. I'm and like, then he said, I want Teofimo in April, yeah. and I want Trevante Davis later in Did he really say that? I missed that part. Uh, that's obviously, again, would be another... They would take some negotiating to get the two people across the streets, but yeah. we love us some Javante Davis coming back on Showtime December yeah, 28th in Atlanta. It's going to be a fun fight, and uh, that would be theater. That would be theater. That would be huge. That would be. I mean, that would be the biggest puncher I think Lomachenko could face around those weight classes. Super athletic, too. That would be amazing. Oh, man. Now I'm getting Let's ba- We'd start banging the drum can, ourselves, dude, right? I can feel it in my loins. All right, then one more here from one of our um, low-level production assistants, who's a zero, King Derek, says... Did it seem surprising that Amanda's jiu-jitsu wasn't more of a factor in ending this fight sooner? Didn't quite uh, exhibit black belt tendencies when GDR was vulnerable. You know, my read on that... Derek can talk like that because he, he can roll. Yeah. Well, uh, he, for some reason, he wrote jiu-jitsu in capital letters because he's a noob. But nevertheless, I forgive him. That's a D1 scholarship athlete. He will take you down. Yeah, but like on the bubble D1. You know what I'm saying? Like D1, Division AA. You know what I'm saying? He, there he is. There he is. There it is. Getting all bitter. Uh, why don't you go wear some more rash guards around like John Danaher, Derek? All right. Um, here's what I would say. By the time in the first round when she was dominating, I don't think that's where she was at mentally. I think she just wanted to like crush her. And she, dude, she had knee on belly for crying out loud, which is like... I'm sure what Derek does to the poor white belts when they come to train for the first time. He's out there licking his chops yeah. and like, it's time to die. And his Tinder dates, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you're weird. But beyond that, after that point, I think she was so much in secure the position, don't take risks. You just didn't see a lot of her jujitsu ability shine. It's not that she couldn't have. She gave up the confidence of her ability to finish that fight on top. You know, to win. Yes. To win. She made some sacrifices to win, which was, I'm going to be the safe thing. And part that of, up kick was from hell, Luke. That up kick got her right, dude, on, the, she, right on the jaw. She could cover so much. Have you not felt like up kicks have gotten better over the years? Yes, yes. Up kicks used to be the thing like your little brother would do when you try to like wrestle with them. Dude, now they're fight enders. I mean, they always were when Musashi fight Jock, fought Jacare and Dream and shit. But now you're really beginning to see that. Why all was the, the one time. where Anderson Silva got sent down? They they called that a uh, DQ. Oh, against um, uh, Pride, was it right? was it, uh, was it Okami? Who was it against? I fr- uh, some Asian man, yeah. Yeah, Rumble on the Rock. That was pre UFC days. That was not legal to do an upkick there. I think he was on his knees. Ah, okay, that was the issue. Yeah. That was the issue. Uh, in any event, so that, that's my read on it. Look at you stalling the show after hurrying me up right in the middle of some. Yeah, stuff, sorry. Yeah. Well, you know, as much as we love slapstick, we got a uh, lot of slapstick to get to. Are you done with the donks here? All right, we're done with the donks. It's time now for on Sprockets right. where we do slapstick. Your, your boy BC searches the globe for the good, bad, and ugly in, in combat over the weekend. Luke, this might be our best one ever. Are you ready? As ready as I'm going to Put the seatbelt on. We're going to start UFC 245 in Vegas. First fight of the night. Puna Hele Soriano, right? Dude, that is so From the Dana White Contender Series, making his UFC debut at middleweight, taking a piece of Oscar Pichota's soul with him. Pichota. Melikamiki Makla is Hawaii's way to say, taketh your soul, Luke. Wow. Right? Are you being racist? Look at the... This is a, a two-shot kill. Did you see this? Watch this. Look, he spins his head. There's a lot of brain shaking going on. This is nasty. Look at this comeback. Ooh. 
He looked good. He looked strong. Yeah. Puna's a Puna's a. To I mean, the thing is, Pajoda was so open on the right side constantly. It's hard to get a good read on exactly how good Soriano is. I was housing some uh, chicken in the media room watching this. But uh, yeah. but yes, he was certainly. I mean, look, if they give you openings, keep taking them. Is there anything better than watching a knockout as you're just scarfing down meat at an uncontrollable pace? Um, sex. All right, that was gross. All right, let's go, let's stay at UFC 245. Did you see the weigh-ins on Friday, the ceremonial ones? We got Jeff Neal on the left, Mike Perry on the right. Platinum's like, go to the body, go to the abs, show me what you got. And then Uncle Fester jumps in to uh, break up the fun. What's going on here? Did are you, you this? are you calling Dana Uncle Fester now? Are you doing the whole Colby Covington thing? That's a joke. But look at this. This is great. Mike Perry is is just beautiful stuff. So I interviewed him at Media Day. I said, Mike, you got to give me the lowdown. What do face tats feel like? Do they hurt? Deadpans me goes. I don't know. I don't have any feeling in my face. He was being serious? Yes. He actually doesn't have feeling in his That's face? That's what he said to me. I just sort of let that comment go, like, you're my favorite psychopath. Thank you. Don't you Thank ever you, wonder why uh, millennials tattoo their faces more? No, because in my day, you only did that in prison. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. when we grew up, you tattooed your face. That was number one sign for gang affiliation. Yeah, if you got a teardrop right here or something. Or, yeah. like, on, you know, writing above your eyebrow or yes. something. That yeah. was like, I don't ever want to be employable for anything other than drug smuggling. And now, like, all the rappers have it. You know, have you seen this? Like, uh, who's that guy? Post Malone? Yeah, all the this, rappers like, in the top ten, right? This he's guy, this, I don't quite get, I understand his appeal, but he's very popular. He has tattoos all over his face. Are you okay with Dana breaking this up, though? This was fun. Yeah, he got in the way, but he has a responsibility. I kind of get it. Plus, all it's right. like, dude, you know, we got Mike Perry on stage. You just never know. And All right, we're going to go to Europe. I don't know the name of the promotion or the names in here, but... Um, Oh, oh my Jesus. God! Babylon MMA, I guess. Look at the shades of. Well, the guy is just standing there. Shades I mean, of Sofa what are we Bisping. Doing? Good Lord! Rendezvous, and I'm through with you. Look at this look. Jeez, that's me asking John Jones a question at the UFC 214. Oh yes, presser. it is. Yes, it is. I'm sorry. Look, I'm just, I just standing. Don't like I'm you. just standing there, and I get kneed in the face. Oh just, my you know, God. Waiting. I'm sorry, unidentified male with tattoos, but you've been sent to hell, Luke. Good Look Lord. at this. Look, he's just standing there. He puts his hands out like, no, Man, stop playing. Should have gone tip to tip. Wow. <laughs> That's great. Um, hey, the fights keep rolling on, Luke. We're going to a casino, a casino fight right here. Look at this old bastard sitting down. He's like, it's time to fight. Look at this guy tearing the shirt Hulk Hogan style. Bro, he's he, got jail tats. He's ready for action. Bro, is he Yakuza? I don't know, but this guy's got some balls. Well, oh, the other wow. guy just oh, gives sorry. him the old wood shampoo there. Guess what I happens mean. next? Time to tune up the band. Look, first he's going to take a take a facial hair. This guy's a mess. Right now. Who tears the shirt before a fight, by the way? You better win it if you're going to do that. Tune up the band. Sweet chin oh! music. Oh, oh, Did you see that KO punch? It looked like Jermaine O'Neal in the Palace Brawl. A buddy of mine won a street fight with one of those. I was witness wow. to it. Look at this guy. I have the power. But that's like a 30-year age gap. How does this guy think he's going to win this? Dude, old men don't know they're old. And this is a tough stumble he takes right here. I mean, this is... Because here's the thing. I bet this old man was tough in his day, you know? And he just doesn't realize that it's no longer his day. Oh, God. Just line it up. Hold that, sir. Take that. Take that. Wow. That dude... What casino is this? I don't know, but I want to Is this New York, this New York? Was this on your cell phone? Probably. I, th- I think I walked right through it on my way to the Did you get bed bugs before up. or after this? Oh, God, yeah. Casinos are gross, though. They're fucking Can we awful. stop putting fights there? They're Las awful. Vegas is the worst. I, can't, right? I, can't, I hate Las Vegas it's so much. It's the worst. If you live in people Las like, Vegas, it's more than the, the worst. People are like, it's, Las Vegas is more than the Strip. Red yeah, Okamoto's like, you could raise a family there and stuff. Yeah, I'm you, know, like, you know what it is? It's the Strip and then Strip Malls. Yeah, thanks. And I'll the pass. Strip Clubs. Yeah, there you go. All right. Hey, we're going to roll on. I think we got some um, high school girls taekwondo action coming up, okay? Show me. No, no, no. This I was wrong. Look at this. Oh, my God, Luke. <laughs> 
Just say spinning shit time. K-1 are you crush. saying that young uh, Asian males are androgynous? Look at Riyamu. This is from K1 Crush Fight 109. Do you know this fellow? People were going, the, the Gravaka hitmans of the world were going nuts over this. Well, he's a, he's a wonderful person. Ooh, Jesus Christ. Dude, that's about as as wow. I mean, even I think Terry Adam just woke up from a cold sleep right there. Wow. Yeah. Am I supposed to celebrate him getting concussed? Oh, or? My God. That's about as, that's the worst head kick you've ever seen, right? Yeah. It's, uh, no, but it's bad. Uh, the worst one I've ever seen was um, Brody Farber got a head kicked by Rory, uh, what's his face? Oh, Uriah Hall. Rory Markham. Rory Markham head kick on Brody Farber is the worst one I've ever Jay seen. Jay just reminded me of that Uriah Hall one from the, the Ultimate Fighter. That's another bad one. Do you know Jay one time uh, knocked Uriah Hall down during a... Uh, Wait, is he, is he being serious spinning about that? Gack, he said he landed a spinning back kick on Uriah Hall during uh, during practice or something like that. And he Jay. Jay. Jay's like a Forrest Gump. You don't understand. He's like a movie director. He thinks he's in a rock band. This guy, this guy's got a lot, too much going on. He oh, should probably oh, focus on Forrest, this show. Well, he's Forrest Gump, all right. Oh, wow. All right. Hey, let's roll on. Let's clean up that guy off the mat. Let's go on from here to... Um, are you a golfer by any chance, Luke? Uh, I don't play it very much, but I respect. The you know game. those J holes who, when you're in your backswing, they like talking in the back. They're on their phone. They're drinking beer on the carts. They're living it up. You mean Just, golf fans? No, when you're at like the local course, this guy's lining up. Look at this guy in the back, lighting a cigarette in the black T-shirt. There's an old guy next to him with a respirator on wheels right here. He's like, "Get that cigarette out of here!" This guy's trying to set up his backswing. Okay. Oh, let's see what he does. Look at the balls on this old guy. Oh my God! Right to the pills. Ko one, Luke. That'll f up your uh, your 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 tee shot, right? God darn! Right to the tip of the tee, right? How did my life end up here? <laughs> How did my life end up here, where I'm watching <sighs> testicle highlights? All right, I guess we're gonna play that that role today. I really, okay. sometimes I go after the show and I'm like, how the fuck did I end up here? Alright, let's move on. Let's go to a high school girls taekwondo, okay? Show me send the fence. Oh my god! <laughs> Show me taking the soul! Look at this rolling thunder shit! Whoa! Wow! Whoa! Hold that! Oh my god! I, I'm not here to cheer on a young oh, girl getting KO'd, but good wow! Lord. You know what I like about high school girls, by the way? Oh, here we go. Please don't get us fired. Because I get older and they stay the same age. You are. Please Great don't get movie. us fired. Great movie. Please don't get us fired. I'm begging you. All right, all right. That's not a 90s counter. That's dazed and confused. It's like an 80s. No, it's 90s, bro. Okay, thank you. What year is Oh, hold on. I'm 95, double. all right? Come on. Dazed and Confused came out in 95? I think it came out in 94. I watched it for the first time in uh, 96. But, dazed. Uh, it was not a hit in the theaters. It became a cult, you know, VHS type of deal. Dazed and confused. 93. Fucking yes. barely. Yes. Yes. All right. We're going to roll on here since Luke is ruining the fun in this segment here. Um, That's what I do. Um, you're going to have kids of this age soon. It's T-ball time. It's Little League. It's getting the kid ready off the tee. Oh, my God. <laughs> look, look at the guy. Look at the fall this guy takes. Oh, my God. Right well, dude, in the are those, are those real baseballs? Oh, and who is the moron who takes batting practice in front of the kid? <laughs> look at the kid's reaction. That she, oh, wow. Yes. You know what, dude? That dad deserves this. I don't know. I think that dad kind of oversold it there like come on dude like really can we do a show where i kick you in the balls <laughs> wow can we do one of those and then we put it and then we loop it on shout out to steve willis the Have boxing you, ref- you know the boxing referee who gets down and squats with the crazy eyes yes. and just that's his instagram account he's got wild right? videos on there all right shout out to that all right he's a stand-up comedian on the side we're gonna keep it rolling do you know this guy marcos matos they call him wreck it ralph from future fc no. Oh, my God. He just sent Marcus Conrado Jr. to hell via wait, wait, flying. Wait, who's who? Wreck-It Ralph is the dude with the paler skin. 
That's Wreck-It Ralph. Yep. Oh, my God. He jumped right into that. Yeah, he took him off his feet. Well, he, he jumped, but then redirected the flight. Boop. Here's a ticket to the deep, dark depths. This guy's jumping into it. Into the land of wind and ghosts, amigo. That's a, that's a, that's a good finish right there, right, Luke? Does he have a gun tattoo on his back? What's oh. your favorite Shevchenko tattoo? That's a good question, right? People are all over my DMs. People need to back off now. It's getting a little It's got to be, it's gotta be the Glock creepy. she has tattooed on there, right? Did you see her? She bought a new safe. Did you see her on Instagram? She's got guns. Uh, she's a little bit too dangerous for my for me. Yeah. I'll just stay at the Instagram level. I'll just continue. You're like, to, she's like Jorge to Connor. A little too much, little yeah, too much a little for you. too much, but I, I can respect from a distance by myself <laughs> and alone. Thank you. Does your right. wife know you have a thing for Shevchenko? Um, Does your wife watch the show? Uh, no, 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 no. No? No, no. She doesn't like fighting. Come on. Uh, we got one more for you, Luke. This is how I like to celebrate the holidays, right? Oh, what am I doing? <laughs> oh, my God. That would be pretty awesome, though, if they invented okay, hold some on. kind set of... This, set this up for me. What is that, like a Roman candle? Yeah, it is. Only this guy's got it way too close to the point of insertion. Look at... Oh, my God. I mean, look, that's got to leave a mark. Like, Dude, he, you, got, you can't show highlights with this without playing uh, Can't Kill Yourself, 69 Bitter Beings. I mean, that's... That's um, that's gender reassignment by accident right there. That's just bad. That's 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 a uh, cattle decapitation song, forced gender reassignment. Yeah, that is um. Wow, wouldn't it be great though if you had, they made belt buckles that you can just that uh you could just walk into a room, pull back your coat, and fireworks start shooting off in your groin, Luke? No. All right, maybe we hit a low this week. Did you lose your microphone? I did. I'm all over the place here. All right. Nice tape. Thank you, thank you. Shout out to Gaff for this tape. All right, let's get out of here. Luke doesn't like this shit anymore. I'm going to start doing no, this show I do. by myself. No, I do, I do. Right? It's just, you know, I come in here and it's like... We I'm had a just, good run. We had a good run with Have You. Have you seen that shit, Luke? Well, we had a good listen, run. Fans love it, which is great, uh, and I'm glad that they do. But it's a little hard for me to get into an old man hitting another dude in the pills with a cane. Sorry. i got to be honest with you. That's how I get down, Luke, okay? Who, by the way, you collect all these? I collect all week, all week, Tell, all right? uh, Dead serious. What is your research method for this? Um, not, not the fight highlights, which is obvious. Do you sit down at your desk and go, I gotta find some guy getting kicked in the balls? Yeah, yeah. Where am I gonna go? Yeah, I've got, I've got, a, I've got a method. I've got a plan. It works. What is your method? I don't, I'm not gonna share it with you. You know what I mean? Why? There's, there's very few people that can pull this off, Luke. Right? It, it is. So, I mean, it's we like may have taken an L this week. Finding, finding uh, uh, things on social media of dudes getting their testicles damaged, splitting atoms, same thing. I understand. There's a, there's a method. There's a hashtag system in place. Oh, there is. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, all right. Very good. Can I come? Can I come with one next week? Just one submission, one. Yeah, all right. It's your, all right. It's your baby, I all know. All right, all right, all right. Can I come with one? Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Right, you know, you know, here's your problem with, you know, you know what it is? I figured it out. Here's the problem with, uh, have you seen this shit? Not enough animal on human violence. That's what I need to see. Okay. I need to see a horse kicking a dude in the face or, you know, some, something like that. Animals gone wild is really what okay. I'm talking about. Okay, there's room for expansion in this. All right. We got spinny shit. We got... Guys taking it to the pills, right? Yeah. We get some football highlights for you once in a while, too, you know? I don't need I can go to ESPN for that. I don't need that shit. Uh, very quickly, uh, odds and ends. What do you hey, got? Hey, odds and ends. Let's do a big weekend for boxing. Uh, Fox this weekend, junior middleweight title rematch. Jermel Charlo, Tony Harrison. Harrison won the belt a year ago, Luke, by a controversial, disputed decision. And since then, the hatred has been real. I do a little program called PBC Face to Face. You may have seen our best episode yet. Harrison Charlo, too. Check it out if you haven't. They are For the MMA fans, Jamal just fought. 
His brother, Jermel, who's an identical twin, yes. is going to fight on Fox this he weekend. He lost his WBC title at 154 to Tony Harrison. Tough fighter from Detroit. Yep. They tried to have the rematch six months ago. Harrison pulled out with an injury. Charlo says, you're faking. You got knocked out in sparring. You're a phony. The, the hate is real for this, and there is potential to be a very fun fight this weekend. Also, if you like a little more carnival style, Danny Jacobs, former middleweight champion, is moving up to 168 Friday on DAZN. He'll be facing Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., mm. who may have run out the back door at a drug test a couple months ago, yet, yet the fight's still going on. So uh, that his, should be his, some, his illustrious career. That Can't should be some to that. carny theater. Yes. Uh, for me, for my odds and ends, Quintet was on Thursday last week. This is the UFC Fight Pass team by team competition. Uh, in the end, uh, Team UFC won, which was, let's see, uh, Sean O'Malley. I'm so glad anti doping authorities have wrecked his career. That seems so smart yeah. and fair. Uh, let's see. Then there's Anthony Smith. There was Mark a, Munoz. Mark Munoz was on Team WEC, but then there was uh, let's see Clay Guida, and I'm missing somebody else from Team UFC. I forget uh, at this point. But in any event, dude, it worked out. Did you watch any of it? It worked out pretty well. I saw King Mo got tapped, but then he said he didn't. From a guillotine. Yeah. Yeah. Jake yeah. Shields ran the table from Team Strike Force on a bunch of fools, which was kind of interesting. Anyway, it's a great concept. It worked really well. I think the fans liked it. The grappling wasn't all that great relative to the highest standard. In fact, Gordon Ryan went in there and in about 60 seconds had his way with Alexia Linick. And then Craig Jones absolutely demolishing Fritzen Pajau. So, you know, the, the, the gap between MMA grappling and grappling grappling is pretty substantial. Still, very fun concept. If you've not seen it, go through and watch. And Jake Shields, dude, I've said it before. I told him when he was at our uh, my UFC 244 pre-fight party, he came through. I told Did him, he steal dude, your laptop? Huh? Did he steal your laptop? No, but if he had had, would I have tried to stop him? That's the question. Probably not. Uh, Dude, he's had one of the best careers a welterweight has had. I don't think enough fans really appreciate what he did as a competitor. Are you saying we should revisit his WSOF collaborations? Who? Jake Shields. Did he fight in World Series of Fighting? For like a bunch of years? No, he fought in PFL, right? Well, yeah, but it was first World Series, and then it changed to... Well, whatever. He also fought in UFC, in case you missed all that. And strike force to be Dan Henderson yeah, there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I know who he is. Okay, Thank right. you. Well, anyway, I'm, I'm trying to say something nice, and you won't let me. If I had highlights of him getting kicked in the balls, could we talk about it'd that? It'd be great. It'd be yeah, great. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be the. All right, we ran our course this week, Luke. It's time for a divorce. Right? We, we did. Good uh, very quickly, we are off next week. There is no show on the 23rd. However, Brian Campbell. However, we're back on the 30th. We'll do like a year in review at that point. Yes. How's that sound? Maybe a, maybe drink a beer. I don't know. Maybe. This is up to you. This is up to you, my friend. Now hold on. Let me say this. I'm then we'll go. Brian threw down the gauntlet. He was like, oh, we have the best beers at the gas stations we I do. go to. We, do we, well, and I was like, look, raccoon, I know you eat cigarette butts out of the garbage. That can't possibly be true. But nevertheless, he threw down the gauntlet saying they have good beers. He actually had a good idea. We should do, I'm going to put this out here and our bosses are going to get bitter at me for doing this. We should have an episode on this channel, not on a morning comment on a Monday, where we just drink beers, maybe watch some old fights. Do a little mystery science theater. Yeah, like you and there. Brendan have with that Java jerks thing you do. Yeah, when, 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 when are we going to do that again, Showtime? Hmm? When are we going to do that again? Point being is, wouldn't you love to do that? That'd be kind of fun, right? I'd be, I'd be down with that. I'd be yeah. down with that. We could call it, uh, we could call it, I don't know, what would we call that episode? Uh, tip, no, no tips. No We're tips. not calling it tip to tip, uh, Ryan I Campbell. Know. I don't know. But hey, we have great listeners, viewers, viewers. followers. Yeah. Well, some people listen to us. Shout out to Seth Neiman, who puts that up every week. Uh, it's Seth Neiman. Um, I saw. I met so many of them in Las Vegas this weekend, and they are passionate and they are creepy. Yeah. And a lot of them just yelled "fuck Luke" from a distance. Yeah, they like, love that. I'd be doing a live hit on CBS Sports HQ, being like, "Yeah, this week, yeah," and then from the distance, just "f Luke," just coming left and right. What do you think? That's what do you think the reason for that is? Uh, to be honest, I don't care. Uh, uh, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I mean... She's answer the question, Brian Campbell. Why do they hate you? Is this really yes. what you want me to get into? Yes. Say it uh, out loud. Because you're, uh, you're an uh, unabashed, uh, unapologetic uh, know-it-all. Yep. Uh, who doesn't enjoy other people's opinions or yep. thoughts. Yes. Yes. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Very astute. Yeah. Very astute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, but I don't mind you saying that out loud. It's fine. I mean, you're the, you're you're an absolute jaghole. Let's be honest, right? Yeah, I mean, a little yeah. bit, a right. little bit. Mm-hmm. You went a little far with that one. That was a little okay. insulting. Okay. That was a little insulting. But I did call you box cutter Campbell, so it's okay. All right, we are out of here though. But as always, as we said at the beginning of the show, thank you to everybody who got the 30k uh, limit. We got much bigger goal, not limit, but threshold. We got much bigger goals in 2020. But thank you, thank you, thank you for getting us to the stated goal. And if we can push it even further before the end of the year, that'd be even better. So, like the video, subscribe to the channel. What's that, Jay, one more time? Oh, social's on the screen. Thank you for interrupting me for that very important thing that will mean nothing in the Are long Are you term. okay if you don't get the first class upgrade to crop dust the first class people as you're like getting, as you're walking Dude, past? that is my favorite game in the world. All right, all right, yeah, I but I also it. do it in, in coach too. Okay. Uh, like, I'm going to bathe you peasants in my, <laughs> yeah. in my, in my ass yeah. air. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, so there you go. Subscribe, follow, do the whole bit. We're off next week. We'll be back on the 30th of the year in review. We'll get better shit to see. I know it didn't work this week. Luke didn't like it. It's all right. Thank you to everybody who watched today. For Brian Campbell, I'm Luke Thomas. Until next time, may all of your gains be loyal.